Well, if you have a copy of God's Word this morning, let me encourage you to turn with me to the Old Testament book of Numbers, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Numbers chapter 12. This morning, we're beginning a new series that we're calling Those People. Everybody say that with me. Those People. And you may be wondering, what are or who are those people? And those people are, well, they're those people. They're those people that, that bother us, that annoy us, that make life difficult for us, that aggravate us, that, that get under our skin. Those people who know how to push our buttons. You know, those people. And there are two things as we get started that I want you to know about those people. First of all, you're one of them. And I'm one of them. At times, each and every one of us can be those people. Regardless of how mature we may be, regardless of how emotionally stable we may think we are, there are times that you and I can be those people. So as we go through this series, don't first of all look to your left or to your right to look for those people. Look in the mirror for those people. And as you find those people, whether they are in the mirror or to your left or to your right, cut them some slack. Because there are times that you are those people. The second thing that you need to learn about those people is this. You can learn from those people. Now, you don't want to. It's not enjoyable. But you can learn from those people. Those people that bother you. Those people that frustrate you. Those people that push your buttons and get under your skin. You can learn from those people. Sandpaper is coarse. If you rub sandpaper the wrong way, it can hurt. But if sandpaper is used properly, it can smooth out the rough edges, can it? And see, those people at times can smooth out the rough edges in our life. Now, as we get started this morning, I want us to focus on those critical people. Now, we all know them. You may work with them, you may go to school with them, you may live with them, and if you do, don't say amen. That'll get you in trouble. Solomon spoke about that in in the book of Proverbs multiple times. This is one of the things he said. He said, it's better to stay outside on the roof than to live inside with a nagging wife, critical wife. Now, some of you ladies, you're already getting hot, I can tell. So don't get defensive because this can go both ways, right? You see, both men and women can be critical. Moms and dads can be critical. Brothers and sisters can be critical. Teachers, coaches, anyone else can be critical. And what I've discovered is you can never please critical people. They're going to find fault in anything and everything. You bring home four A's and a C... And they're going to ask you, why did you make a C? You lose 10 pounds, and they're going to look at you, and they're going to say, you know you need to lose another 20. 
you take charge and they call you a dictator. You lead through a team and they call you passive. You get your clothes at Walmart and they say you need to dress better. You get your clothes at Nordstrom and they say you spend too much on clothes. There's actually a song about critical people. It's called the grumbling song. Now, I want you to listen to some of these words. In country town or city, some people can be found who spend their lives a grumbling at everything around. They grumble, grumble, grumble no matter what we say. For these are chronic grumblers. They grumble every day. They grumble when it's raining. They grumble when it's dry. And if it's a little chilly, they grumble and they sigh. And when they go out shopping and see the price is high, they grumble, grumble, grumble. They'll grumble till they die. Have you ever met a person like that? I mean, they're constantly complaining. They're constantly grumbling. They're constantly critical. The world is filled with people like that. Like this man. He, He came down one day and he looked at his wife and he said, Would you cook me two eggs? I want one egg fried over easy and I want the other egg scrambled. And so his wife, without saying a word, went into the kitchen and she made those eggs to his specification. She put them on the plate, brought them out to him. He looked at them and he said, I can't believe it. You scrambled the wrong egg. There's some people like that who are constantly critical. And so I don't want you to raise your hand, but But I want you to think, do you have someone like that in your life? Someone that finds fault in every single thing you do. No matter how hard you work, no matter how hard you try, you just can't seem to please them. And I've been a pastor for 30 plus years. And i got to be honest with you, as a pastor, I've had my share of criticism. I've been criticized for how I dress. I've been criticized for how I preach. I've been criticized for how long I preach. I've been criticized for the Bible translations that I use. I've been criticized for the music style that I lead our church to do. I've been criticized for my leadership style. I've been criticized for where I live. I've been criticized for the kind of car I drive. I mean, I've been criticized over and over and over. My family has even been criticized, and that's when it gets tough. That's when it gets tough. When we were in Orlando, my son, Jonathan, who was the campus pastor at our West Campus, he he was playing in our praise band. He's a pretty good guitarist, or he was. And and, and when my son left private school and went to public school, he wanted to let his hair grow out. And and so we let his hair grow out. And you can't see this picture, but uh, let me just say it grew out and out and out. His hair was down to here. And it was in ringlets. My wife was envious of my son's hair. You know, that's bad when your wife is jealous of your son's hair. But that's what happened. And then my son said, Dad, can I get an earring? And I said, your name isn't Joanne. Your name's Jonathan. No, you're getting an earring. You're not getting one. But he kept on asking, and I kept on saying no, and finally asked my dad, who was a pastor and older than I am and more mature than I am and certainly more conservative than I am, and and I said, your grandson wants to get an earring. What do you think? He said, son, there are worse things. I went, excuse me? 
is this on the phone and what have you done with my dad? He said, son, there are bigger battles to fight. John's got a good heart. He loves the Lord. This is a phase. Don't fight battles you don't need to fight. And so we went to a tattoo parlor. <laughs> got my son's ears pierced. Here's my son with his hair down to here and his ears pierced, playing in our praise band, just loving Jesus. And, and one of my dearest friends came to me one day and said, I'm sorry, but we got to leave the church. I went, why? He said, I just can't worship with your son up there with his long hair and those earrings. And, and I wanted to say, don't let the door hit you as you leave. But instead I said, let the door hit you when you leave. No, I didn't. But, but that's what I wanted to say. I mean, it hurts when people criticize you. Have you ever been criticized? I mean, criticism is not fun. But you need to understand that some people are chronic critics. And whatever you do, whatever you say, however you live, they're going to criticize you. You see, it's their desire to do something or say something to make your life miserable. And if you're ever trying to make a difference in life, if you're ever trying to accomplish something in life, you're going to be criticized. Aristotle said this. He said, criticism is something you can avoid easily by saying nothing, doing nothing, and being nothing. Aristotle was wrong. Because let me tell you, if you say nothing, do nothing, and be nothing, people are going to criticize you for that as well. There's some people that are just going to be critical because our world is filled with critics. You can live a perfect life and you're going to be criticized. Jesus is an example. Jesus was perfect in every way. He was without fault. And yet he was criticized. He was criticized for the people he hung out with. He was criticized for the way he preached. He was criticized for the way he lived. He was even criticized for doing miracles on the Sabbath, healing people on the Sabbath. Jesus was perfect, and yet he was criticized. And what amazes me is it seems like there are times that Christians, listen, Christians can be the most critical. But I remember reading something years ago that said we can always attract more people with honey than we can with vinegar, amen? That's so true. There are critical people out there. Now, someone once said praise and criticism are both windows to the heart. You see, often praise reveals what we value most. If we compliment someone on their dress for their appearance, it means we value that. We compliment someone on on their yard and how well maintained it is, how manicured it is, means we value that. And often our criticisms reveal our deepest insecurities. Someone criticizes another person's appearance and it reveals that really they're insecure about their own appearance. Someone criticizes the church for how we spend the money and it really shows that they're insecure about how generous they're not. 
You see, oftentimes our criticism reveals those things that we're really insecure about. It's been said that critical people are people who don't like themselves, so they often criticize others because it helps them feel better about themselves. Now, before we jump into to unjust criticism, which is what I want us to talk about, I want us to talk for a moment about constructive criticism because one of the most valuable things you can do is receive constructive criticism. So never ignore the value of constructive criticism. I want you to listen to what God's Word says. Proverbs 13, 18. If you ignore criticism, you will end up in poverty and disgrace. If you accept criticism, you will be honored. Now, I don't know anyone in here who wants poverty and disgrace. Most of us in here would prefer honor, wouldn't we? And so if we want honor, it says we need to receive constructive criticism. Proverbs 15, 31. If you listen to constructive criticism, you will be at home among the wise. So if we want to live wisely, we need to learn how to receive constructive Criticism. Proverbs 25, 12, like a gold ring and a fine gold ornament, so is constructive criticism to the ear of one who listens. In other words, constructive criticism is a valuable asset to us. Now, who can give constructive criticism? Well, the truth is anyone can. Whether they mean it as constructive or not, anyone can give constructive criticism. But the truth is, There are some people out there who love us, who care for us, who want the best for us. And when they speak to us and they speak into our lives, we need to be careful to listen closely. We need to also pay attention to those who have gone before us. Those who have already done the things that we are attempting to do. And so, for instance, for me, if if a pastor who is older than I am, who has been used of God in a mighty way, comes to me and gives me constructive criticism. I know he has already been there. He has already done that. And I need to be careful to heed that advice. And so when a person wants to help you or they have the ability to help you, you need to listen to that constructive criticism. But let me add one other group in there. When a boss gives you constructive criticism, You ought to listen. And if that boss isn't a boss that you can heed constructive criticism from, then you need to find another job and and get another boss. Amen? Because a boss's job is to lead you and guide you and direct you, and, and that will involve praise and encouragement, and it will also involve constructive criticism at times. But but here here's a here's a tool that I think is good for us as we Focus on constructive criticism. I I believe, and I haven't read this anywhere, it's just something I believe. We need to have at least five words of encouragement for every word of constructive criticism. Now, sometimes that may not be possible, but I think that's a wise tool to use as we are trying to determine, do I need to say this or not? Because people will listen to us more often when they know you have their best interest at heart. When they, they know that, that you care for them. When they know that you think highly of them. And so as you encourage them, 
It prepares the way for you to share those nuggets of constructive criticism. Now let's look at unjust criticism. And what I've discovered is that there are two wrong responses when it comes to constructive or unjust criticism. The first negative response, wrong response, is to fight. That's a wrong response. When someone criticizes us, we immediately start thinking of how we can defend ourselves, how we can launch a counterattack on them. Have you ever done that? I mean, I've got to be honest. I've got to be transparent. That's my nature when it's not acting redeemed. As soon as someone starts with a critical word, I quit listening with both ears. I listen with one ear, but with the other ear, I've got it closed so that I can begin preparing my defense or my counterattack. And that's always wrong because, listen, even when you win, you don't win. So it's never right to fight. The other wrong response is flight. We run, we flee, we determine to keep our distance, we're going to stay away from them. Now, the Bible does say that there are times that we do that. We're told in Titus that we warn a divisive person once, we warn them twice, and, and after that we don't have anything to do with them. In other words, what he's saying is when we have tried everything within our power to resolve this, and it's obvious this person doesn't want to resolve an issue, they just want to be divisive, they just want to be critical then at that point in time, stay away from them. It's not worth it anymore. But that is a last resort. And what we do more often than not is if our personality isn't to fight, our personality is to flee, to avoid the conflict, to avoid the critic. And so we run and we decide they're not going to be in our life anymore and and can I tell you, that's the wrong thing to do. Now, as we look at people in the Bible who, who face criticism, there's perhaps no one except Jesus himself who faced more criticism than Moses. Moses had the responsibility of leading millions of people out of Egypt, slavery, into the promised land. It's obvious as we read through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that God's hand was on Moses. It's obvious that, that he was anointed with power. And we are told that he is the most humble man who ever lived. And yet, listen, and yet, from the moment he went back to Egypt, assigned by God with the task of delivering God's people, he was criticized. And he was criticized until the moment he died. Moses, the most humble man who ever lived, one of the greatest leaders who has ever lived, one of the most godly men who has ever lived, and yet he was criticized from the moment he began the assignment God gave him to the moment he went into glory. W.A. Criswell who is now in heaven, was pastor of First Baptist Dallas for 40 years. 
And when he was the pastor of that church, it was one of the strongest, largest churches in America. I averaged close to 10,000 people in worship, which was a large number back then. And W.A. Crizzle once said this. He said, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah what it was like to be swallowed by a whale. And then I'm going to tell Jonah what it was like to be nibbled on by 10,000 minnows. Well, imagine Moses. He wasn't being nipped at by 10,000. He was being nipped at by several million. And so how do we respond when we're criticized? Let me give you four things. First of all, there are times that we need to remain quiet and let God speak. There are times that we just need to sit back, zip it, and not deal with it. Let God deal with it. Look at Numbers chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. It says, while they were a Hazareth, Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because he had married a Cushite woman. They said, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us too? But the Lord heard them. That's important. And then it goes on down to verse 8 and God says this. I speak to him, Moses, face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is. So why were you not afraid to criticize my servant Moses? The Lord was very angry with them and he departed. Now there are two criticisms here and both of them come from his family. Moses' brother and sister. Can I tell you that criticism hurts the most when it comes from people who are the closest to us? It does. You, you would think that, that when criticism comes from those who are closest to us, we receive it better, but, but we don't. I mean, when those who are closest to us begin to criticize us, we get very, very hurt by that. Now, this criticism was very personal. First of all, they criticized his wife. And may I say to you something? Don't ever criticize a person's family. I don't care how messed up they may be. Don't criticize their family. You know, over 30 plus years of, of pastoring, I, I've, I've learned to deal with about any criticism that's on my way. And, and I really have. I've learned to uh, allow that criticism to just flow off and, and I try to receive it and, and find out what I can use and what I need to throw into the garbage pile. But, but when my family is criticized, man, it's hard to stay in the spirit. It's hard. Parents, listen to me. Your son or your daughter falls in love with someone and, and, and you look at them and say, they're not good enough for you. That's a good way to sever a relationship. Your, your, your children are, are raising their kids and, and their, their parenting style is different than your parenting style and you criticize them. That's a good way to never see your grandchildren again. Listen up. Don't criticize people's family. But the next criticism reveals the real problem. You see, they were upset with Moses because Moses was getting the credit for being God's spokesman and they were jealous. They were sitting here thinking, okay, I'm the older sister 
I mean, Moses would never be here if I hadn't put him into the Nile River in, in that basket and watched over him until Pharaoh's daughter came and got him. I mean, I'm his big sister, by the way. Aaron was the big brother, and, and Aaron was probably saying, well, I had to speak for Moses at times because Moses kept on making excuses that he couldn't speak. And so they got jealous of how God was using Moses. And may I say to you, that's one of the main reasons that people criticize. They're jealous. They're jealous of your success. They're jealous of your marriage. They're jealous of your life. And so what do they do? They criticize you because it makes them feel better about themselves. Now notice what it says in verse 3. We're told that Moses was more humble than any man. And Moses wasn't going to confront them with that criticism. But God did. God picked up his heavenly phone and said, Aaron, Miriam, Moses, I want you to meet me at the tabernacle ASAP. And so they went to the tabernacle and Moses and Miriam and Aaron was there. And God said, are you crazy? Criticizing Moses. When I speak to other people, I speak to them in riddles and in parables. And, and I speak to them in, in, through a cloud. But, but with Moses, I speak to him face to face. And the Bible says that he was very angry with him. To the point that the cloud rose and Miriam was covered with leprosy. You see, whenever we're criticized, our first reaction is to respond, isn't it? But sometimes we just need to sit back and let God handle the problem for us. I want you to listen to, to a couple of verses. First Peter 2, verse 23. When they hurled their insults at him, it's talking about Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Do you understand what that's saying? When, when Jesus was being beaten and mocked, he didn't respond. He trusted his father to take care of it. In Romans chapter 12, verse 19, it says, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scripture says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Sometimes you just remain quiet and you let God speak. Now, doing that is very difficult, but there are times we need to. I remember years ago, I was pastoring a church, and this one guy disliked every single thing I did. I could do no right. And so my wife and I went over to their house one night. And, um, and for over an hour, I was chewed up and spit out. I was told how I was a horrible pastor, I was a horrible preacher, I was a horrible this, I was a horrible that, and I didn't say a word. I just sat there and I took it. When it was all over, I prayed with them, and my wife and I went and got in the car. And when we got in my car, my, my wife just started bawling. She was bawling because she was so hurt because of the things that were said to me. And my wife was probably surprised that I didn't retaliate. But, but God somehow gave me the grace. And may I say to you that God intervened. And God worked in that situa situation. 
And God validated my ministry. And God vindicated me. And there are times that we just need to sit back and let God take care of the problem. But next, there are other times that we need to let others speak on our behalf. Look look at Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 through 10. Let me read that passage. It says, that night all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in the desert. Why is the Lord bringing us in this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephthah, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone. The Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of the meeting to all the Israelites. And if you look back at Numbers 13, you read that that Moses sent the 12 spies into the promised land to scope out the land. And when they went there, they discovered it was a land flowing with milk and honey. It was a fertile land filled with all kinds of fruits and, and crops. But it was also a land of strong people and fortified cities. And the Bible even says there were giants there. Giants who were so large that, that the people of Israel looked like grasshoppers compared to them. And so as they came back and they gave this report, the Bible says that all the people began to complain and moan and criticize Moses. And they were ready to fire him and and get another leader and go back to Egypt. Now think about that for just a moment. They were ready to go back to Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. They were property in Egypt. They were beaten like animals at the farm in Egypt. And yet they said, it's better for us to be in Egypt than to be here. Here's another thing you need to learn about critical people. They have selective memory. They have partial memory, don't they? Critical people say things like, well, in the good old days... Yeah, in the good old days, you were standing in bread lines. In the good old days, you, you died of, of, of smallpox. In the good old days, and, and we can go on and on and on about the good old days. We have selective, partial memory. That's one of the reasons that we dis- dismiss what negative, critical people say. But notice what Joshua and Caleb did. They spoke up for Moses. Now, over the years, I've discovered that it's much better for someone else to speak up for you than you having to defend yourself. Now, here's the problem. I've discovered over the years as well that our critics are oftentimes much more vocal than our friends. Have you discovered that? I I don't want to... 
I, I don't want to shake the boat. I don't want to ruffle feathers. I don't want to cause problems. And, and, and so we sit there and we let our friends get eaten alive. But Joshua and Caleb weren't going to do that. Listen up. When your friend, when your church, when your family is unjustly criticized, you don't sit there and do nothing and remain silent. You defend them. You speak up. Don't stand there and watch them get pummeled by the stones of criticism doing nothing. Stand up and defend them. Sometimes we let other people defend us. We let other people speak up for us. Sometimes we must speak up. Now turn to number 16. In number 16, verses 1 through 7, we, we see a story that occurred after uh, all of this. And, and it says, Korah, son of Izar, the son of Koth, the son of Levi, and certain Reubenites, Dathan and Abram, sons of Eliah, and On, son of Peleth, became insolent and rose up against Moses. With them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders, who had been appointed members of the council. They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, You've gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? Moses heard this. He fell face down. Then he said to Korah and all of his followers, In the morning, the Lord will show you who belongs to him and who is holy. And he will have that person come near to him. The man he chooses, he will cause to come near to him. You, Korah. And all your followers are to do this. Take censers and tomorrow put fire and incense in them before the Lord. The man the Lord chooses will be the one who is holy. The Levites have gone too far. Now Korah was a Levite. The Levites were chosen by God to watch over the temple. They were chosen to assist the priest. And they were to be wholly devoted to God. But evidently Korah didn't like his assignment. He didn't want to be a Levite. He wanted to be a Moses. He felt like he could lead and other people could lead better than Moses. So he criticized Moses' leadership. He said, you've set yourself up over everyone else. You think you're better than everyone else. You think you've got this special connection with God, but you don't. Every one of us is holy. Now that sounds good. But remember, Moses was the most humble man on the earth, God said. Moses hadn't set himself above anyone else. If anyone had set Moses up, it was God himself. You see, Korah didn't want to be a Levite. He wanted to be the leader. And so we got 250 other leaders together, and they all came before Moses, and they accused him. Well, by this time, Moses had enough. He fell on his face, and he confronted Korah. Now, let me say to you, listen. Before you ever confront criticism, you better fall on your face. Did you hear me? Because if you don't, you will not have the right spirit. So he fell on his face and then he confronted Korah. Moses said, in the morning, we will see who belongs to the Lord and who is holy. There are times that we need to remain quiet. There are times when we need to let other people speak up on our behalf. But there are times when we can't remain silent any more, But notice how Moses responded. He didn't respond with anger, but with brokenness. 
And he confronted his critic face to face. When you're criticized, look at me. When you're criticized, you don't get on Facebook or Twitter and vent. I've seen some of you do that. Yeah. I've seen some of you do that. And it's childish. You don't do that. When you're criticized, you get on your face before God, and then you go to the person and you confront them face to face. Now, when do we respond? When are we supposed to do this? When, when our feelings are hurt or we've been wrongly attacked? No, not necessarily. It's when not responding can potentially cause more harm than responding. You see, this wasn't just a personal attack. It dealt with God's calling and how God worked in people's lives. And if Moses didn't deal with this, then they were going to move into theological error and believe that anybody could be called of God to lead the people rather than God putting his hand on someone to lead the people. And so this was a theological issue more than a political or a personal issue. And Moses had to deal with it. There are times that we can't remain silent any longer. But at all times, we've got to pray. At times, we sit back and let God handle it. At other times, we sit back and let other people speak up for us. There are times when we've got to respond. But, but regardless, we always pray. Look at Numbers 12, verse 13. So Moses cried out to the Lord, Oh God, please heal her. Here's Miriam who was criticizing him. And what did Moses do? He's, he's interceding on behalf of Miriam. Numbers 14, 13, Moses said to the Lord, in accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt unto now. It seems like every time Moses was criticized, he would fall on his face before God, either praying for strength or pleading for God to forgive the ones who criticized him. I mean, what kind of man is this? Instead of saying, God, get even... He's saying, God, please forgive them. And I've got to tell you, that's tough. It's much easier to pray, God, get them, than forgive them. I mean, there have been times, I mean, I want to be honest, there have been times that I've been on my face before God and I wanted to pray, God, take them out. And I'm not talking about the church. There have been times that I wanted to pray that. But here is Moses, and he's criticized over and over and over, and he's praying, God, forgive them for what they are doing. We need to make it a habit to pray for our critics. We need to pray that we will see the truth in their criticism. We need to pray that we will remain humble. We need to pray that God will show them our hearts and change their hearts. And let me give you four other things that we need to pray for. We need to pray that we'll know when to be silent. We need to know that. We need to pray that God will show us when to respond and and how to respond. We need to pray that God will show us when to dismiss the criticism and move on. And then we need to pray that God will show us the own critical spirit in our lives. Now... You can't please everyone, but you can please God. So don't live for the masses, 
live for the one. You see, if you're overly sensitive to criticism, you're elevating the opinions of others over the opinion of God. There were times that I, I looked at every decision I made and I asked myself, now, how, is, how are people going to respond to this? What are people going to think? And I got to tell you, that was a miserable life. And I came to the point where I just said, God, what do you want me to do? And help me to do it with grace and with dignity and with love. Now, I've got to be honest, I don't like criticism. I've gotten used to it. I've learned to accept it, but I still don't like it. Whenever it comes, regardless of how it comes, it, it takes me a moment or it takes me a while to regroup. I've got to process it. I've got to work through it. But if we don't learn to do that, the criticism is going to eat us alive. Now, what if we're the critical person? I want you to listen to what Paul said, and then we've got to wrap this up. Romans chapter 2, verse 1, he said this, Those people are on a dark spiritual or dark spiral downward. But then notice what he says. But if you think that leaves you on the high ground where you can point your finger at others, think again. Every time you criticize someone, you condemn yourself. It takes one to know one. Judgmental criticism of others is a well-known way of escaping detection in your own crimes and misdemeanors. Wow. And in Romans chapter 1, you know what he's talking about. He's talking about the evilness of the day, and he talks about the sexual evilness of the day, how... How man has forsaken the natural and he's turned to the unnatural. And he talks about all of these wicked things that the world is doing. And then he's saying, even though these people are on a dark spiral downward, you need to be very careful if you think you're on high ground. Because if you start criticizing someone, you're condemning yourself. In Romans 14, it says, what right do you have to criticize someone else's servant? Only their Lord can decide if they're doing right. And the Lord will make sure what they do is right. And here's what I know. We've become a critical people. We criticize everything, everyone, everywhere. We criticize other churches. We criticize other pastors. We criticize political leaders. We think it's our job to criticize. And I want you to hear me. There are times that we need to speak up and confront wrong. But there's a difference between speaking up and confronting in love and having a critical spirit. And I'm afraid that the church is being labeled as having a critical spirit, not sharing the truth in love. And criticism will never change the world. It will never build the kingdom of God. It will never help your marriage. It will never build your career. So if you find yourself having a critical spirit, let me remind you of the verse that we're memorizing this month. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you will shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. And so what this says is that if you're a believer your witness is at stake in how you live. You live with a critical spirit, and you're not going to shine like a star. 
If you're a non-believer here today, you've never professed faith in Christ. It may be that your critical spirit is just symptomatic of your bigger problem. That you need to be redeemed. Now hear me, I'm not saying that believers don't deal with critical spirits. I've said Christians can see some of the most critical, can't we? But here's what I know. When a Christian becomes critical, the Spirit of God deals with them. If the Spirit of God doesn't deal with our critical spirit, we need to ask ourselves whether we're a child of God. So if you're here and you're not a follower of Christ, it's not the critical spirit that's your main problem. It's, it's your nature that needs to be redeemed. It needs to be, it needs to be set free. It needs to be brought back to God. And only Jesus can do that. And he did that when he died on the cross for your sins and mine. I want to encourage you to do something in 2016. I want to encourage you to make a commitment today to seek to be encouraging rather than critical. I want to encourage you when you are criticized to ask yourself, is this a time when I need to sit back and let God handle it? Ask yourself, is this a time that I need to sit back and let others handle it? Or is this a time that I need to respond and confront face-to-face the criticism? But I want to encourage you, regardless of what the answer is, make it your, your commitment to pray. Pray that you will learn from the criticism. Pray that you'll respond to the critic with grace and love. Would you pray with me? Father God Almighty, Lord, first of all, I want to ask you to forgive me because there are times that I know I am critical and I don't want to be. Lord, I pray that I will have the grace that you had when you suffered indignity and yet You trusted yourself to the one who judges justly. Father, I pray that I'll have the wisdom and the humility of Moses to know how to handle criticism. And Lord, I pray the same for each and every one of us here today. I pray, Father, 2016 will be an incredible year as we become encouragers who shine like stars holding forth the word of life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.